Hail, hail Michigan. They are the champions of college football 2023. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday 10, this is episode number four. Today is January the 9th, 2024. Uh, second episode of January. I'm going to try to do this pretty quickly. Um, 10 fun topics today, ranging different sports, different people. Um, just giving my opinions and hoping people listen. So without further ado, here's the rundown for today. Um, number one, 2024 bingo card. Number two, Michigan defeating Washington. Number three, a farewell to the Pac-12. Number four, five NFL Week 18 observations. Number five, I have some wild card weekend rapid takes. Number six, Nick Sirianni. Number seven, Cutter Gauthier. Number eight, Sixers star hunting. Number nine, potential ballpark tour edition, or in, I guess in different terms, I like to call it the journey for 30. And number 10, WrestleMania. So without further ado, I'm going to get right into it. Number one, 2024 bingo card. This was actually originally going to be in my intro, my uh, my quote-unquote number zero segment, which is before the first actual topic, but it actually the list grew a little bit too long that I figured I may as well dump a dump a topic or dump a uh, segment here and start talking about this instead. So just wanted to make make it very clear. This is only the ninth day of 2024, and we already have a wild bunch of things that have happened. So we had a couple, like last week, we had suspected aliens in Miami, um, there was like that weird thing where the, the police went to the, uh, the mall in Miami and they were, there were suspected aliens there. It turns out it was just like a fight. Uh, number two, Cat Williams, of course, his whole weird media tour. We have the Epstein list slowly, but surely being unveiled. Uh, Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Kimmel, just wasting money at ESPN to pay this guy to come on every week. We had the micro peen guy at Bass Pro Shop. That was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Um, cold. The water must have been very cold that afternoon. We had the guy that jumped over the uh, the table and attacked the judge, and then was brought into the courtroom chained up, uh, which ties into Draymond Green. Uh, a lot of people suggested that's how he should be brought back into the NBA. Uh, next, we had the the Jews in tunnels in New York being pulled out by cops. Uh, the Chiefs are on Peacock, and of course, it's an election year, so buckle up. W of the week this week goes to Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Because all they need to do when brainstorming the new South Park episodes is just open Twitter. All right, number two. This will be a hopefully a pretty quick one. <laughs> um, so Michigan defeating Washington last night in the national championship game. Michigan dominating Washington, finishing with their first ever 15 and 0 record. Winner of that game was going to finish 15 and 0. So a pretty fun. Uh, college football playoff. The weird thing, though, is with how great the semifinals were, it really never felt like Washington was really in the game last night. I thought um, even after they made a couple adjustments at halftime, it was tough to expect them to, you know, continue stymieing what uh, Michigan's, you know, running game. Michigan had five turnovers all season, and four of them were in one game. That was a Bowling Green game, game uh, week three of the season, and they only had 45 penalties all season, although some – plays last night looked like they probably should have been penalized. Uh, I thought Blake Gorham was arguably the best player on the field. The running backs for Michigan, their offensive line, fantastic. Uh, Michael Penix, unfortunately, looked like he was injured. Probably hurt his draft stock last night, too, missing a, a lot of wide-open receivers. Um, and in my humble opinion, this was kind of a classic case of the Big Ten slash SEC, in this case Big Ten, kind of pounding a either a Pac-12 or a, B12, or a, um, a Big 12 school in a big game. So, 
it seems like the playoff every year kind of shows which conferences are really battle tested and ready for these games. Um, Michigan kind of dominated on the ground. For some reason, they got away from it in the second and third quarters, and then finally figured it back up at the end of the game, getting Corm into the end zone twice and kind of killing the clock and killing the uh, killing Washington. Uh, Washington tried their best early in the game to establish the run, kind of abandoned it after they fell behind. Uh, Dylan Johnson was banged up. Probably out of necessity, they started finally throwing the ball, and by then it was probably too late. Penix, I think, dropped back like 50 times last night. Three great receivers, Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, all probably going to the NFL, but neither of them really had a particularly, you know, awe-inspiring performance. I thought Dunze was pretty good. He was open a couple more times than, you know, his numbers would suggest, but really didn't look like a uh, like the dynamic offense Washington has had all season. And in the second half, I thought their defense was very good, but the problem was they really couldn't score. Uh, no touchdowns in the second half, and they had that long interception by uh, Mike Sanders still, which kind of put them to bed for the evening. And uh, the other takeaway I had from this game is the atmosphere in these big games. And the same thing goes for like the Super Bowl. It really leaves a lot to be desired. These tickets are too expensive. Um, people are buying, you know, paying $500 to sit all the way up top. The only people that are able to really afford these games are rich people or people that are being comped or it, it, it's, just, it's a shame because the atmosphere was not nearly what it should have been for a game of this magnitude. And I think that's a problem in most sports that have uh, neutral games like these bowl games. And then, um, obviously the Super Bowl and, you know, the Final Four. Um, and also another thing that kind of sucks is um, I'll kind of get to this in a little bit, but uh, maybe in a different episode too. But I, in my opinion, the transfer portal, NIL, this conference realignment that's going on, it, I think is going to do more long-term damage to the product than, you know, the, the, the positives it brings in the short term. And one other thought could maybe John, maybe Jim Harbaugh joins his brother John in the NFL. That's something I want to touch on Thursday with my co-host on the uh, the regular turn pod. Uh, number three is going to be kind of like a personal thing. Uh, I want to I want to bid farewell to the Pac-12. Um, last night was essentially the unofficial end of the Pac-12 as we know it. Um, it still could exist in the future. Uh, we don't know for sure what's going to happen in a couple of years in 2026. But as of last night, um, Oregon, USC, UCLA, Washington, all leaving for the Big Ten. Uh, so they're gone. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, they're going to be joining the Big 12 while Texas and Oklahoma leave for the SEC. And then Cal and Stanford are joining the ACC, the Atlantic Coastal Conference, which only leaves two teams left in the Big in the, uh, the Pac-12, Oregon State and Washington State, which are going to operate as two teams in one conference next year. They've, uh, they filed for a temporary restraining order. It's very weird, the whole, all the circumstances surrounding it. So they have until 2026 to figure out what they're going to do. Um, next year, they're going to be kind of merging to an extent with Mountain West for, uh, for scheduling purposes, but the Pac-12, as we know, it is basically dead, and that kind of makes me sad. Um, they lost you know, California, which is a huge market. So the TV negotiations kind of stalled. Um, and then once that happened, they were offered less money and ESPN and all these different you know, networks didn't really want to carry them. And that's why these teams started fleeing. I think people realize also that the Big Ten and the SEC are the main feeder schools or the feeder conferences into the, um, the college football playoff. The, they're going to steal a lot of good recruits from some of these other schools. So I think recruiting can be fun going forward. But the, the style of play from these California and these, you know, the West Coast schools is definitely going to have to change when they change uh, when they switch conferences.
it feels like the big the Big Twelve has the best chance to somewhat replicate the aura that the Pac twelve had, but I don't think it's going to feel the same. Um, I, I, I'm going to be kind of sad when you know the Oregon, USC, Stanford, Cal, UCLA, Washington, Utah, all those guys having basketball scores at the end of the night, uh, like you know twelve o'clock midnight on the on the East Coast. I'm going to miss those fifty eight to forty four games and you know sixty three fifty eight games. Um, I still remember when I was you know kind of falling in love with college football as a kid. Uh, mainly, you know, middle school, high school years. I, re- I remember on Saturday nights and Friday nights, and even sometimes Thursday nights, uh, coming home after, you know, being out after, after having school or having, you know, doing stuff with friends, coming home and looking for something to watch on TV. And the only thing was like a Utah USC game on ESPN2 that was tied at like 45 at halftime. And quite frankly, I'm going to miss that. I really enjoyed the, um, the style of play that the Pac 12 offered us. And, I will probably always be a pretty big college football fan, but even someone like me, someone who's defended college football quite a bit, I'm going to have a little bit of trouble coming to terms with the, like the idea that all the turnover is actually a good thing. I hope it stabilizes and we're not going to see it, you know, five years from now, three more teams leave the big 10 and go to the ACC. And all of a sudden Utah is in the same conference as Texas and Texas and, you know, Buffalo and all these weird schools are all kind of in the same conference, which I think is going to suck. I, I kind of liked it the way it was. I prefer my college football to be kind of regional. And, you know, while we're on the topic, I don't know when I'm going to have another chance to talk about this, and it probably won't come up again until next, you know, next year when we maybe force a segment about college football into the, the turn pod. But it also kind of makes me a little sad that the uh, the SEC is leaving CBS. I um. I have an affinity for, you know, broadcasters and different things and announcers. And I really enjoyed growing up watching, you know, Bama, LSU, uh, Ole Miss, all these schools facing each other, Florida, um, Auburn, you name it, Georgia facing each other and Vern Lundquist and Gary Danielson doing the game at 3.30 on CBS on a Saturday. And then, of course, when Vern stepped away, um, Brad Nessler took over and has done a great job. I'm going to miss that. And I know that they're getting the Big Ten. I don't know if they're going to have the same announcing crew. I would imagine Nestler will still be there. There's uh, there's rumors that Danielson might be leaving, but I don't know. I, I obviously don't. I'm not all the way read up on that. Um, I, I'm going to miss that. I, I Sometimes change is good, but I don't think change is always good. And, and in sports, change like this, which is kind of seismic with all the different, you know, the realignment and the teams leaving, it's not going to feel the same. I don't think a 12 o'clock game at noon is going to feel the same as those 3.30 Saturday SEC games. I always knew where to find Alabama. I always knew where to find LSU. I always knew where to find Georgia when I was looking for a game on TV. Christ, even the video games when I was growing up, which uh, maybe coming back soon, even the video games, NCAA 14, if I were ever curious and kind of just looking through the games in like my, my dynasty mode, 3.30 was always listed as like a national televised game, and it was always Alabama, LSU, Georgia. You know, Florida, all those big SEC schools. And quite frankly, I think it's a, it's a weird changing of the guard. And I guess that we are kind of entering this age where eventually, you know, rights, rights deals are going to be owned by apps and no longer on TV. But it kind of sucks that this is kind of where we're going. All right, on to number four on today's Tuesday 10. Number, so this is my, my five NFL Week 18 observations. Kind of quick. I'm not going to elaborate too much on this. Same thing with the, uh, the wild card weekend. Um, I'm going to try to stay pretty strictly formatted on this episode, try to limiting myself to 30, 40 minutes. Uh, number one of my five, the Buffalo Bills are the team that no one should want to face in the playoffs. Um, listen, I know Miami's kind of banged up. I know that they kind of snuck by a few teams, but they are a team right now with a lot of confidence. 
ever since moving on and, you know, a new offensive coordinator in Joe Brady. I think Josh Allen's playing great. Running game looks good. They're getting Fournette involved. Diggs kind of getting involved this past week. I know he's kind of fallen out of favor, and they beat up a bad Miami team, arguably well, a pretender Miami team who really hasn't beaten a good team this year, aside from uh, Dallas. But I think they're a team that if you're going into the playoffs, you cannot feel good about playing them. And the Bills have a really a rude awakening. I'm sorry, the Steelers have a rude awakening, you know, waiting for them at Orchard Park this weekend. So, number two, the Steelers are a bye week. I would have rather see Cincinnati, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, or Las Vegas get in the playoffs. I don't really care. I've said this before. I don't really care for the not under 500 um, parade that they're going to have every year around Heinz Field or whatever it's called, Agrisher Stadium. The Steelers, you know, being okay and being kind of like floating every year does nothing for me. This year they're a bye week. If you really think Mason Rudolph is going to lead the charge in the Orchard Park and even put up a fight, you're out of your mind. Number three, well, I'll elaborate on this further on a future episode as well, but I've talked about it before. We need to have the Trevor Lawrence discussion. I'm kind of tired of people, you know, still putting him on this pedestal based on his potential. He's not that good. And I truly believe that watching him, he's not much better than, you know, a Jake Browning or – some of these young guys, uh, CJ Stroud may even be better than him at this point. Um, I think we have to have a, a really an honest discussion about who he is and who he's going to be. You can't make a living on potential, and eventually those Jags are going to pay him based on his potential when he has not really done anything in the NFL. He, he turned the ball over multiple times in the playoff game last year, kind of got lucky, and then you know got put out of his misery by the Chiefs. So, and he, again, missing the playoffs this year, kind of choking the division away. They were favorites when the season began to be the, uh, you know, the AFC South champs, and they really choked that division away. So we need to have the honest Trevor Lawrence discussion. And I know Doug Peterson, and um, I forget who the GM is down there, but who, whatever his name is, I don't know if it's bulky. I forget who it is, but I know they're kind of cleaning house right now and bringing in new offensive and defensive staffs. But I think sometimes you're going to have to, at some point, you're going to have to look at the quarterback and wonder if he is truly the guy. And I've seen rumblings of McDaniel in Miami, maybe making a McVay-type move. I know he's not the one that makes the trades, but, you know, in terms of getting the new quarterback, kind of like what McVay did, deciding that Stafford was no longer the guy, I think there's a chance McDaniel maybe moves on from Tua. And I think a name that you could look out for is Trevor Lawrence, maybe in the right system. Maybe he excels, but I don't know. Maybe it's a system fit. They got a lot of weapons for him down there. You know, they had Zay Jones and Marvin Jones last year. Um, Evan Engram's really coming to his own. Christian Kirk is phenomenal. Travis Etienne and, you know, uh, Tank Bigsby, very good players. And, you know, of course, Calvin Ridley coming back from suspension. I thought that this year was a year that we maybe see Trevor Lawrence actually take that step. And I think announcers and analysts and people are pretending he has when he really has not. Uh, number four, Dallas has a Super Bowl cal- caliber team, and I cannot stomach them winning it. Now, I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I want to make myself clear, but I think there's a good chance that they can knock off a team like the Niners. And that concerns me. I think the defense is very good. Their offense is putting up historic numbers. They put up 40 points multiple times this year. I don't know how many other teams in the league have done that. At number five, I'm not convinced Bill Belichick is gone from New England, but I think it's time for him to start somewhere fresh. I think it's in his best interest to uh, start somewhere fresh. Oh, by the way, breaking news. Miami Heat extending Eric Spolstra. Eight years, 120 million plus. That's actually a big deal. So one of the best coaches in the league gets extended. But uh, I'm not convinced Belichick's leaving. He might give up GM duties and maybe keep – maybe they bring in a GM. Maybe they bring back McDaniels as the OC. 
they're probably going to lose Gerard Mayo unless they, you know, make, make him the official DC. As the dogs flip out, but um, I'm not convinced he's leaving. But maybe it's best for him if he does. I think Washington's a great place for him to go. I think he can go to you know pretty much anywhere that's going to have a coaching opening. Um, LA Chargers make a lot of sense to me, as I mentioned on a previous turn pod. Uh, number five, NFL wildcard weekend. So these are going to be kind of rapid fire takes. Quick segment, no lines or anything. We'll do that Thursday. Just quick thoughts. Um, AFC, the Ravens have the bye. The uh, the two seven matchup is Bills and Steelers. I think this is a Bills bye week. Just kind of like a practice run. They're going to test some things out and probably roll through the Steelers. Uh, the Chiefs and the Dolphins are three six. It's going to be single digits in KC or maybe even negative double digits. It'll be zero zero degrees at kickoff. Miami, in my opinion, needed that win on Sunday, and they. I think that loss to Buffalo really ended their season. I don't think they're beating. I don't think they're going to be competitive against the Chiefs. Number four Texans and number five Browns. Of course, the Texans the four p.m. Saturday slot again. Uh, a tale as old as time. The Browns defense is going to have to somehow carry Joe Flacco to Baltimore. I am really, really excited about the Browns. The prospect of the Browns going into Baltimore. Joe Flacco taking on the Ravens. So. Don't write off the Texans, though. I think they have a great team, and I think they have a really good quarterback. But I think the Browns' defense is just too good, and Jim Schwartz is a guy that can really confuse C.J. Stroud. In the NFC, the 49ers have the bye. Um, the Cowboys take on the Packers in the 2-7 matchup. There's uh, three kind of storylines in the NFC that you don't really have in the AFC. Uh, the Cowboys and the Packers, uh, obviously uh, Mike McCarthy taking on his old team. The Packers are ahead of schedule. Jordan Love looked really good this year. I think they have a, a fighting, a puncher's chance against the Cowboys, but their defense has to hold up. And to be, you know, frank with you, I don't think they will. Um, but again, we're we're not making picks on this episode. We're making them on a Thursday. In my opinion, could change based on some of the data and some of the things I see, but we'll see. Uh, the number the number three Lions taking on the number six Rams. Goff and Stafford taking taking on their old teams. It kind of writes itself. Goff revenge. Stafford putting his former team out of misery. 600 bucks to get into this game, twice the amount of the cheapest ticket at any other stadium this weekend. So Detroit is going to be rocking. I would expect a really hot start from the Lions, but you never know. The Rams are such a good veteran group, and they have two really good receivers and a great quarterback with, a, with one of the smartest head coaches in the league. I think this is going to be the game of the week. And the number four Buccaneers against the number five Eagles, of course, of course the Julio Jones revenge game. I kid. The 2021 rematch, this could be the game that maybe gets Nick Sirianni fired. We'll we'll find out Monday. The Monday games have kind of stunk in the years past, but maybe this one will be decent. It's a rematch of a Monday game earlier this year, and I kind of hate the idea of the Eagles winning and then having a short week. I'm moving on. Number six, Nick Sirianni. I, uh, I kind of have complicated thoughts on him. Oh, you know, on one hand, I think when the team is winning, they seem to kind of rally around his weird gimmick. But on the other hand, when they're bad, his high school Harry coaching style kind of comes off as a gimmick and the players don't really respect him. I Being half in and half out Sunday, in my opinion, was a mistake. You have to go in to that game, either committed to winning it or committed to resting your players. And I think when A.J. Brown got hurt or pseudo hurt, that was a sign from the football guys, just get your guys out of that game. And, of course, the first pass Mariota throws is a little swing pass that gets picked off. But you can't go into that game, you know, half expecting Washington to contend and also expecting yourselves to be fully in it. If your players can sense you don't give a shit, then they're not going to either. So in my humble opinion, they should have either gone into that saying, hey, no matter what, we're going to try to win this. And maybe at halftime we pulled it, you know, we pulled the starters, but we can't go in, you know, always, you know, looking at the scoreboard. 
seems like the media kind of thinks he's a problem, even if the players don't. Um, Philly can kind of eat some guys alive, and he's kind of handled the media fine, but I think he's replaceable, especially in the eyes of the GM and the owner. And you can blame the coordinators. You can kind of blame the linebackers. But if they lose in embarrassing fashion Monday, I think there's a chance he might be gone. Um, and then because the news broke today, well, this was already kind of put together. I don't really know where to put this on here. But if Sirianni is canned, I think, number one, uh, Mike Vrabel would be my number one target um, in a millisecond. I would hire him to be the, the head coach. And if nobody wants him to be head coach, I'd make him a defensive coordinator in a heartbeat. Moving on. Cutter Gauthier. This is number seven. This one is the one I have the most thoughts about. Um, I'll try to keep him concise. Uh, Monday, he was traded to Anaheim for Jamie Drysdale, a defenseman who is in the NHL currently. And a, I lost 2025 second round pick. He, uh, he was the fifth overall pick a couple of years ago by the Flyers in 2022. Uh, Boston College guy, really good college player. He's actually killing it right now in Boston College. Uh, Drysdale was drafted sixth overall in 2020. He's like a puck moving defenseman, good, you know, good speed, pretty good size, but injuries are always going to be an issue with him, and they have been already. Uh, he's in the NHL, though, and I believe he's played 10 games this year. He's got I think it's one goal, eight assists, something like that. Uh, Gautier reportedly told the Flyers he was ready to be a Flyer and then flip-flopped a couple times. Uh, General Manager Daniel Briere said he tried to protect Cutter Gautier by not really letting anything leak about Gautier not wanting to be here. But he's known for a few months now that um, that Cutter kind of doesn't want to be here and they, they should probably find somewhere for him to go. Well, kudos to them for getting this trade to happen without any of this leaking to the media. Of course, there were rumors. And his friendship with Kevin Hayes doesn't help either. But um, they did. They wound up making a pretty good move. That second-round pick, if, if if Anaheim's as bad next year as they are this year, that second-round pick's going to be kind of an early uh, – almost like a late first because it'll be early in the second round. Um, there's a good chance that Drysdale turns into like a second-pair defenseman there's a good chance he maybe becomes a number one defenseman. But for the most part, I think at least early on, you're going to see him really help the power play. I think the power play is the biggest impactful place you're going to find him. Um, he's going to likely be moving – he's going to likely move forward with Travis Sanheim as his line as his defense partner. And I think that helps him well because Sanheim can also move the puck. He's a very responsible defensive player and has a little bit of offense in his game as well. Um, supposedly, this is not – you know, none of this is really confirmed, but – um, according to Elliot Friedman, Gautier wanted to report last summer and sign a deal, sign his entry-level deal with the Flyers. But because of the bonus and whatever the structure would have been, the Flyers were unwilling to sign him at the time. They wanted him to go to college for one more year, and they kind of pissed off Gautier. And, and since then, he hasn't really even talked to the Flyers. Um, he's kind of gone back and forth. I think initially he wanted to be here. Over time, decided no. And then, you know, last year decided, yeah, I want to be here. And then uh, – once the Flyers decided, you know, we, we don't want you to come over just yet or come up just yet. We want you to stay one more year. We're, we're in a rebuild anyway. No reason to rush you. And I think that caused an issue, and it probably caused the rift between him, his agency, of course, the Flyers. Um, he refused to talk to John LeClaire and Patrick Sharp, um, two guys that I know it's almost like – it's kind of um, – it's almost humorous how it's kind of like – how many flyers and former flyers are in the organization right now? Um, of course, Daniel Briere, Keith Jones, they have Sharp, they have um, John LeClaire, Steve Coates is in there somewhere. Um, both of them were flyers, former flyers hired by Keith Jones and Daniel Briere. Uh, 
John LeClaire, Patrick Sharp met with uh, Boston College coach Greg Brown and re- wanted to meet with Cutter, but Cutter just legitimately blew him off, which kind of pissed off the uh, the front office. And you can tell by the way Dan Hilferty responded and the way John Tortorella responded, the way Keith Jones and Daniel Briere talking about him. They're, they're trying their best to be respectful, but I, I think that they are at this point just kind of fed up with this kid's antics. And I got to be honest with you, if you don't want to play here, that's one thing. I'm glad that they kind of kept it under wraps. But this kid, in my opinion, is a loser. Um, I've read reports where he thinks a bad shot from his own stick is better than a great shot from someone else. He's not willing to work on his playmaking abilities, not willing to get dirty in the corner. So he, he wasn't going to fit here anyway. And to be honest with you, they have, you know, Samula coming up, and they also have um, Mitchkov, who is probably going to end up being the, um, you know, the number one guy on this team. And Cutter probably realizes he's never going to be the number one anywhere. Um, crossing Broad's Anthony Sanfilippo last night, meaning Monday night, he said that Kevin Hayes' fingerprints were all over this. Hayes, of course, had a less than ideal run as a flyer. Um, Flyers got him in 2019, signed him a seven-year deal. I think it was $50 million. And he had the chance to play for Elaine, Elaine Vigneault, who we really liked in New York. Elaine was fired 22 games into the 21-22 season, which would have been Hayes's, I believe, third year here. Eventually replaced by Torts, who kind of hated Kevin Hayes, John Tortorella, that is. Um, and Hayes really didn't like him. His brother also passed away last year, and he's also had a lot of issues with injuries. So his .62 points per game as a flyer was the highest of his career, but toward last year really kind of fell out of favor with Tortorella, and his productivity dropped. And, you know, St. Louis took him for a six-round pick. And as soon as he got traded, there were reports that he was like the quote-unquote cancer in the locker room or in the dressing room if you're a hockey fan. Um Kevin Hayes, it is what it is. I was kind of excited about him when he came here, but it seemed like he didn't want to be here to begin with. There were rumblings the first year that he was here that he didn't want to be here. He's a Boston guy, kind of local. And uh, he's the only guy that Cutter said he really has had any type of um, interaction with on the Flyers roster. And if Hayes didn't like it here, I I would imagine there's a chance maybe he conveyed that to Cutter. However, it came out um, either earlier today or late last night, uh, Daniel Briere. And Keith Jones, two of the few people I actually believe when they're speaking, because I, I think two former players and broadcasters that are one of them, a broadcaster who don't come off as, you know, fake are these two. And Keith Jones said on 97.5, the fanatic Tuesday that, uh, that Daniel Breer reached out to Kevin Hayes and made it clear to him. They don't believe the things being said about him in the media. Hayes also good friends with Ryan Whitney and Paul Bissonnette of Spit and Chicklets. Um, a member of their podcast also reported that uh, Cutter Gauthier did not want to sign with the Flyers because of their rookie GM quote-unquote, and quote-unquote coaching style, which kind of means Briere and Tortorella. So take that with uh, with whatever you want. But uh, the two guys from Chicklets, Bissonette and Whitney, both want to get um, Kevin Hayes to clear the air. Maybe legally he's not allowed to, but who knows? Um, I'm sure we'll get something that comes out in the next few days. I'm hopeful by Thursday's recording we actually get some news. Um, Tortorella also was quoted after the game, after the game last night. During the game – was when uh, Cutter got traded. Cutter's not a flyer yet, but during the game was when he got traded. They were playing the Penguins after the game. Torch said, I don't know Cutter from a hole in the wall. Dan Hilferty said, if you don't want to be a flyer, you won't be a flyer. And Zach Ronaldo on Twitter, former flyer, said, if you're not prepared to bleed orange, we don't want you anyway. So Gautier's camp is yet to issue a statement. I'm excited to see what happens from this. Um, I just know he'll be public enemy number one. And I've already suggested to my co-host, Joel, on Thursday that we do a top five or a top ten Philadelphia sports villains segment in the episode because I think Cutter's going to be one of those guys probably his entire career. If you remember, I was too young at the time, but 
when JD Drew was a Red Sox or a Brave or um, I think he was briefly, I think he was a Padre. Um, anytime he would come to Philly, he would get booed mercilessly. And I always wondered why that was. I know he was just an ordinary, you know, right fielder kind of sucked. And I learned that he refused to sign here when the Phillies wanted him. And uh, I think they even drafted him. And, you know, he got drafted elsewhere and he got booed for the rest of his career. That's just the way it's going to be. Uh, number eight, Sixers are star hunting again. Uh, I felt the need to put some Sixers in here. Could have easily just flipped this into another football segment. But Darren Morey, uh, president of basketball operations for the Sixers, reportedly sees this year as a chance to win it all, and he plans to be very aggressive. This ahead of the February 8th trade deadline, of course, and then subsequently the buyout season. Uh, three names that I keep seeing, Kevin Durant, Zach Levine, and Larry Markin, and Kevin Durant reportedly not happy in Phoenix. Uh, in less than a year being there, and then Zach Levine's name has been thrown around kind of relentlessly the last few weeks, the last few months, really. And Larry Markin, who I believe is a free agent after the season, I can't remember off the top of my head, but in Utah, they almost have no use for him. So we'll see what happens with, um, with those three guys. In my opinion, the KD package, the trade package to get him is going to be too large. I think it's going to cost you too much. They're going to want Maxi Springer, you know, probably multiple first round picks, pick swaps. And it, it, at a certain point, you would, you do have to put your foot down and say, look, we, I understand we're trying to win it now. And I maybe Durant moves the needle, but if you have to give up three, four assets and it kind of hurts your, your depth right away, I don't think it's worth it. And even for a guy like him, and I'm not even positive he would mesh with, um, with Embiid or if Maxi and Embiid are both still here, I don't know if he would fit that well. Uh, in my opinion, Zach Levine is going to go to LA. I think he'll be a Laker. I know that's the easy one. Um, Miami also makes sense for him, but if he's traded this season, which I, in, in my opinion, I don't think Durant or Levine gets traded this season. I don't even think Martin does either. Um, I don't think any of the three are going to get traded in season, but I think Levine is destined to be a Laker at some point. And then, of course, Larry Market, and I think he's going to cost a lot. I think he's the most ideal fit of the three. I know Levine can score. I know Durant's a big guy, but you know, a big score historically, but I think marketing and going forward, if you're going to keep Maxi in this trade, and of course, obviously Embiid, I think he's the guy I would go after. Embiid needs a stretch four next to him that can also play a little bit of defense and kind of run the floor a little bit. Marketing is not exactly, you know, a, you know, a rim runner, but he can easily space the floor, give you somewhat reliable defense. And, you know, also he's young. And if you sign him to a max, he'll be controllable. He's not really got a ton of injury issues in the past. Nope personal issues or no issues with coaches or anything that can coaches fire left and right. I think he would be the best fit. Um, ahead of the deadline, I'm not really interested in a star. I've made it known before. I think that the way to win in the NBA is two superstars and then really good role players around them. Um, I have a couple names I'd consider some names that I do not want. And uh, so the two, the two guys I don't want uh, that I think could be moved are D'Angelo Russell from the Lakers not interested. He can go be, you know, a good player, bad team somewhere else. And Pascal Siakam, who I don't think would fit here. Um, even if you lose Tobias, I don't think it makes sense for him to be the third guy with Maxine and Bede. Um, and then names I would consider. Um, DeJounte Murray, I think would make a little bit of sense here as a secondary ball handler, maybe the second unit point guard. Um, apparently the Hawks are interested in trading him and San Antonio of all places are interested in acquiring him. Whether he gets moved, I'm not sure. What the package will be, I'm also not sure. But I can't imagine it will cost a ton. Likely picks and maybe one or two young guys, which, I mean, the Sixers can easily trade Springer and, you know, not worry about it too much. 
Um, number two for me, I would definitely want to take a look at uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Hawks. I think he'd be the perfect guy in the starting lineup here as your, you know, as your two guard. You go Maxi Bogdanovich, and then if you keep Harris, whatever, it, there's your backcourt, and then your your four can be pretty much anywhere. You play small and have Bogdanovich as your three, and if you keep Melton in the trade, you know Harris is your four and Bead's your five, where you can put Covington or Morris in the starting lineup. Batum can start. It doesn't really matter to me. Or Ubre can start. It doesn't really matter. I think Bogdanovich as a ball handler and a shooter and a guy that doesn't need to be fed as often as some of these other guys, I think he'd be perfect here. Uh, this, another name I thought of who I've always kind of wanted on the Sixers. At this point, it probably doesn't make any sense because I think it would be kind of redundant with Nick Batum and Robert Covington and even, even uh, Marcus Morris. But as a veteran guy who probably won't cost you much, Harrison Barnes would be interesting here. Um, he can still spot up from the corner. He's a decent defender. Um, has a championship pedigree, of course, played for those war- played for the first Warriors team that won the title. And then, um, of course, was let go because they needed to pay Durant. Uh, he's been on the Kings for a few years. I think he's a good veteran guy. Um, contract probably doesn't make sense here, but if you're going to likely move on from Tobias, I think he'd be an interesting fit. Again, I think it would be kind of redundant with uh, guys like Batum and Morris and Covington, but I've always kind of wanted to see him on the Sixers. Um the Detroit Pistons are interested in trading uh, Boyan Bogdanovich of no relation to Bogdan and um, Alec Burks. I don't want Alec Burks back. I thought he was terrible here the first time. He's been okay for them this year, but he, he's a microwave off the bench. But he, he, he's a great value version of the last player on my list. And Boyan Bogdanovich, is, you know, he can handle the ball. He can shoot. He can play defense. I think he'd be a good fit here. And then Buddy Heald, who I think Alec Burks is a, a great value version of. Apparently, Indiana Indiana is interested in acquiring a defensive wing in exchange for him again i don't know what Jaden springer's you know trade value is around the league but he has a huge contract and i'm sure they would like to get out from beneath that maybe you can move tobias and a three-teamer send him somewhere like the pistons who supposedly had interest in him um bring in buddy healed maybe dump a pick i don't know what you want to do but i think buddy healed for a few years has been one of the guys i'd like here's a good shooter he's a microwave i think he'd be fun either as you know your starting shooting guard or as him and Uber could be coming off the bench scoring. Cause they desperately need bench scoring every game. I watch they're getting, they're losing by four at the end of three quarters and, and B's got 45 points. Max has got 25 and the bench is being outscored 26 to two. All right, let's move on. Actually one more point. Um, I don't know how badly I want to mortgage the future, uh, but the window right now is probably not going to be much more open for a whole lot longer. Um, Obviously, Tobias Harris, very kind of polarizing as a figure here, but how much longer is Embiid's window going to be open? Harris is probably going to be going. Ubre either is going to get paid Harris money, uh, $20 million a year, maybe less than Harris, but he's going to get Harris money this offseason, whether it's here or someplace else. You're not going to probably find another guy on a deal like Ubre. Ubre might have the best contract in basketball this year, being on the vet minimum, putting up 20 points a game off the bench. Um, obviously not putting up huge numbers, but He's been such a great player here, and it, it, I don't think they're going to have this much depth and ever again. They have four or five, you know, playable wings off the bench. They have a good backup center in Reed. Uh, Pat Beverly's been pretty good for them this year. I, I think now is the strike time to strike while the iron's hot, and it seems like the Eastern Conference is pretty wide open. I think the Bucks, the Celtics, uh, Miami, the Sixers, they they could duke it out in the playoffs, and one of them is going to end up winning the East. But I think if there's a chance this could be the year for the Sixers and. If not, then when? Uh, moving on, number nine, uh, 2024, potential news. 
on my uh, my wife and I's journey for 30. Um, as you know, we've been to Philly, both New York ballparks, Baltimore, Boston, uh, the five California ballparks, Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Washington. We're hoping to attend ballpark number 14 this year, opening weekend in Seattle, potentially against the Red Sox or in Kansas City when they host the Twins. Ballparks number 15 and 16 have been locked in. We will be at guaranteed rate field on, I believe, April 3rd to see the White Sox as they take on the Atlanta Braves. And then April 5th, Shoei Otani and the Dodgers head to Wrigley Field. We are going to be there. I already bought tickets. We got the plane tickets. We're going to get a, um, a car rental and a, um, a hotel. An added twist, potentially number 17. Four parks in a seven-day span. We might be hitting Milwaukee. American Family Field, an hour and a half drive from Chicago. If we get out of the Cubs game at a decent time on that Friday, the Brewers play at 8-20. I'm sorry. There's a chance we might be able to knock out 14, 15, 16, and 17 in a seven-day span, which is very, very exciting. So we'll keep everybody updated. If you follow me on Instagram, I have a story highlight on my page of the different ballparks we've been to, which is pretty fun. I'm looking forward to knocking out some more this year. And then number 10, I'm going to tease this now. We're going to touch on it Thursday. I'm going to briefly touch on this as my co-host obviously knows more than me and I haven't really watched much, but I have some fantasy booking for WrestleMania 40 at the link, which we will be hopefully attending and maybe doing a a wrap-up pod after. I have a way to make WrestleMania huge, and it doesn't even involve Roman Reigns being in a championship match. I got it all laid out. I'm going to touch it up tomorrow. I'm going to touch it up Thursday. And then I'm going to touch on it with my co-host, Joel, on Thursday on the PA Turnpod, episode number 138, I want to say. Until then, I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger for the first time. I'm going to talk about it. I think it's a great idea. The the scenario that I put together, I think, is uh, something that would work for fans. It would probably work for a lot of the performers. And I think it would sell tickets. Until then, that's my Tuesday 10. What's yours?